and present in presence to the poor. Will you please now stand for the reading of the gospel? And that will be chap uh, Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 50. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will sue will be able soon, will be soon after, afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us, for truly I tell you, whoever give you a cup of water to drink, because you bear the name of Christ, will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little children, before any of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone was hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter the life main than to have two hands and then go to hell, to the, to the quenchable fire, unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Where their, where their worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good. But if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. That's hard to say thanks be to God to, isn't it? Just want to say the elephant in the room. That, that's hard to say thanks be to God to, isn't it? Oh. There's, a, there's an author that says those are the difficult words of Jesus, for sure. <sighs> uh, for our children's message today, I, I want to share with you. For those who are, are with us here in the sanctuary and worshiping with us online, we have the, the book up on the screen so that we can all get a chance to, to see it. It's about the smallest girl in the smallest grade. So let me, let me share it with you. Hardly anyone noticed young Sally McCabe. I'll just go ahead and keep turning pages here. She was the smallest girl in the smallest grade. I hope you see her sitting there barely at the desk. Sure, her name could be heard in the daily roll call, and she marched with her books down the same school hall, but hardly anyone noticed young Sally McCabe. And they certainly didn't know, and they certainly didn't mention that Sally was paying super extra special 
attention. To the abandoned kite with the tangled string, to the 27 keys on the janitor's ring, to the leaves as they turned, green to gold in the fall, to the time Tommy Torino was tripped in the hall. Okay, Sally. She watched the wildflowers tipped towards the light and heard the howl of the hound dog late one night, and she was there when the stray cats who normally fought conducted a meeting in the church parking lot. Hmm. She saw Kevin McHugh get pushed off the slide and the oncoming tears that he wanted to hide. She'll never forget that parent-teacher day when Billy's much larger father dragged him away. But through all the mean words and all the cold stares, no one ever noticed that Sally was there. And they certainly didn't know and they certainly didn't mention that Sally was paying super extra special attention. She could see how a whisper could make someone cower like a bulldozer crushing a field of wildflowers. It kept piling up this discarded debris, those beautiful kites tangled in the tree. So February 3rd at 11.29, she steps straight out of the lunchroom line. And she said, I'm tired of seeing all this terrible stuff. Stop hurting each other. That is enough. Now, a few laughed out loud and didn't care. That was some girl with her hand in the air. But then something super extra special happened that day as Howard O'Henry suddenly set down his tray. Like waves rolling in one after another, first Molly rose up, that was Michael's twin brother, then Tyrone and Terrence and Amanda and Paul pushed their chairs and stretched their arms tall from the friendly lunch lady with the dishes she carted to the new third grade teacher who had just recently started. Yes, everyone, even Principal Claire, joined little Sally with their fingers in the air. And though the hound dogs seemed destined to howl at night, and most stray cat meetings would end up in fights, the kites would continue to get stuck in trees, and they all felt for a moment like the janitor's keys, fastened together with a heavy steel ring that held all the secrets 
to unlock everything. As the world returned to the way that it does, Sally noticed the difference, as she usually does. Billy paused briefly to open the door for Mrs. O'Connell and then 17 more. Or Molly scooched over to make some room on the coral riser for Ellen and Grace. Those moments that often get taken for granted, a wildflower appearing that no one had planted. The swings soon resumed their rhythm and sway. A day turned to night and night turned to day. People remembered, quite often mentioned, Sally had paid super extra special attention. How the world could transform and a change could be made by the smallest girl in the smallest grade. As we come to this time, remembering that God calls us to a time of noticing. Even when we feel like the smallest one who nobody notices. And it's nerve-wracking to say anything at all. How about if we pray and ask God to help us? even if we're not sure if it'll make any difference at all. Would y'all pray with me? Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for being with us. Help us to use our voices and speak up even when we're not sure it'll make any difference. Amen. So I have to ask you, do you know Lucy Van Pelt? You know this character? So back in 1952, she debuted in a comic strip as Peanuts older much more beautiful of course wiser sister this is the sister of Linus and rerun she offers you great advice if you have a nickel to give her she pines for Schroeder at the piano as he's a you remember this thing, budding musical genius. And she loves managing everything from a team, baseball or football, doesn't matter. And she's better at trick-or-treating than anyone. If you know Lucy of the saddle shoes and the blue dress and the incredible determination, you probably know her best from her interactions with Charlie Brown and the football. You remember this one? Thought you might. Manager Lucy regularly practices the team, any good manager would, and especially kicker Charlie Brown for the all-important field goal. 
She sets him up and she encourages him to get a running start. Ready, set, flop. Remember this? She removes the football each and every time. Good grief. We hear Charlie Brown <laughs> flat on his back. And Lucy offers a different explanation every time. If you've read any of these comics, about 50 years of comics, she says as she does this, it could be she didn't want his dirty shoes to mar the clean football. She's been known to say, for everything there is a season. Or, in every program there are some last changes. None of these feel good. Charlie Brown's knees shake and his frustration swirls on his head without a lot of hair. And yet his hope and willingness seems to remain. Is this admirable? Is this gullibility? <laughs> Did you know there's one time, one single comic strip, when Lucy lets him kick the football? Did you know this? 1979. Charlie Brown has been hospitalized, and even Lucy is moved to give him a chance to punt. His knees are shaking, his heart is pounding. Even mean, bossy Lucy, the one that we like to kind of rag on a little bit, she removes the stumbling block one single time. Don't worry, the next comic goes back to what we're familiar with. If you and I were constructing a disciple, dreaming up what a follower of Jesus would look like, Topping the list would probably be confidence, energy, strength, agility. I don't think it would be Charlie Brown at all. Over the last month, we have returned to the classroom and study, and we've paused, and we've kind of taken this first day selfie. We've been looking in the mirror to see how our discipleship measures up with who God has called us to be. Where we predicted poise, we found that God calls us to get our hands dirty in service. Where we preferred confidence and knowing exactly what to say, we found that God uses a scratchy voice for prophetic purposes. Where we imagined a hearty heart, we discovered God works through hearts that are heavy with compassion. Where we envisioned that shakies and tired bodies would be limitations, we're gonna talk about God shows us what God can do. So here we find Esther. Esther realizing she's in the center of political dealings and perhaps more back room than she was looking for. Truth be told, there are usually more connections and debatable dealings than you bargained for. Before Esther had ascended the throne, maybe you remember this, Vashti was actually the queen. 
King Xerxes, called Asheru in Hebrew, was demanding that she come and attend him during this epic party. The king who ruled the lands from Ethiopia all the way to India threw this large party for the officials and the governors, the soldiers and the princes in all 127 provinces. Not to thank his employees, but to impress them. From all accounts, this party lasted for six months, 180 days. This is really some, this is a party. This is really some occasion. This is everyone traveling to the capital of Babylon to eat and to drink. And when I say everyone, what I mean is the men. And here they are, Queen Vashti, summoned to provide her company. And she flatly refuses. Maybe her knees were shaking a little bit. Whether she refuses to entertain or she doesn't want to leave the women's party, whether she doesn't want to appear in the royal crown or only her royal crown, she clearly communicates she's going to retain her dignity. And Vashti is out. On the heels of this action, as King Xerxes banishes Vashti, He's looking for a more suitable wife who will bow to his wishes. He's already shown that his critical thinking is limited. A beauty contest is up to identify the next queen. If you read a little bit of Esther, you and I would see that there's a year worth of beauty treatments to prepare for this contest. Mordecai, Esther's uncle, or cousin, depending on the translation, hears of this and knows that if Esther gets the ear of the king, not only will she benefit, not only will the family benefit, but the whole Jewish people will have the ear of the king. Certainly God has moved in all kinds of ways. Throughout the contest and becoming queen, Esther keeps an incredible secret, not letting anyone know about her Jewish faith. At the same time, the king's chief advisor, Haman, who himself has just risen to power, has an agenda to eradicate the Jewish people, not knowing the new queen is herself Jewish. Mordecai will not bow and draws the ire of Haman. Queen Esther, who has been passing as Greek, hears that her people will be in trouble, but she's not going to be passing any longer. Her Jewishness is on display. Perhaps God has put her here for such a time as this. As her knees shake, and she remembers the fate of the former queen. She gathers the prayer warriors and the fasters of her community to be in solidarity with her 
as she approaches the king, knowing he can deny the conversation for any reason whatsoever. So to be even begin the conversation, the scepter must be extended. You know, it was Franklin Delano Roosevelt who not only said fear is the only thing we have to fear, but he also went on to say courage is not the absence of fear, but the assessment that there is something more important than fear. The very lives of her community were more important than her own fear. To know that she was doing the right thing. The prayer support of the faithful and the focus that fasting guided her as she wisely waited for that audience. You know, today our Jewish brothers and sisters celebrate this courage with the raucous holiday of Purim, where they boo Haman and they cheer Esther. Larry Smith, the publisher of Smith Magazine, popularized the six-word memoir. Have you ever heard of this? How you have your own life in six words. Could you do it? Let me give you a few examples. Someone described their life this way. Seventy years, few tears, hairy ears. It's one way to describe your life. Someone else said this. Be the color, not the shade. Hmm. Frank McCourt, the author of the book Angela's Ashes, described his life this way. Miserable childhood leads me to royalties. There you go. In Acts, the first chapter, there's actually a six-word memoir hidden in there about the life of Jesus. It says this. Jesus began to do and teach. Not a bad memoir. We could also go with this one. Died on Friday, rose on Sunday. Or perhaps he's not there, he is risen. Or he's alive, take that one. Or with God all things are possible. For Esther, we could write this. Beauty pageant winner takes down anti-Semite. Perhaps this one. Knees shook, stomach turned, stood anyway. She reminds us that courage is not always strength, but making near nerve-wracking choices while your knees tremble. I think we know this. It's like this. I think we've done it. When doctors suggest we need more blood work, or perhaps a procedure would be helpful, just to check things out. When we have to give a job performance review, that we don't think will be well received by the person we have to give it to. 
when we have to talk to somebody we care deeply about, who drinks a little more than they should and needs some additional support, when we're looking for solutions in a custody agreement that we know will be in the best interest of our children or our grandchildren, and we're not thinking it's going to be well received, when we want to speak up about something we've heard for a long time, but we just can't go along with anymore. These crucial conversations require an incredible amount of courage. Did the disciples know this? They came back in Mark. With Jesus in Mark, they are sure they understand. Every time, they're sure they get it. Did you hear them? If you're not with us, you're against us. John was sure he got it. He's a crucial conversation with a follower he's never met. And he says, you better cease and desist. Nope, they haven't gotten it yet. Try again. If you're not an enemy, you're an ally. Why, just by giving a cup of water in my name, Jesus says, you're on our side. Count on that. God will notice. On the other hand, if you give one of these simple childlike believers a hard time bullying them or taking advantage of their trust, you're going to wish you hadn't. You know, there's a story that's told about a man that hitchhiked from one side of the country to the other, and in the process of this, he went thousands of miles. He's asked, what's the hardest part of the journey? Is it the mountains, or is it the scorching sun? He said it's the sand that was in his shoes. Sometimes the smallest challenges are the ones that can drag us down the most. It's understandable that we find ourselves more like Charlie Brown than like Esther. Sometimes we have the arthritis that takes us a while to get up and get going. Sometimes. Sometimes we're unsure of what God's asking us to do in this stage of life. Sometimes we feel intimidated and we're not sure what we're standing up for and what we're supposed to speak out against. So did Esther and so did Charlie Brown. God calls us, you and me, to stand up slowly when we need to, trembling when it is, and let our lives speak for Christ. This, my friends, is the gospel. It's the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.